You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 42 today. <clears throat> Genesis 42, don't stand just yet. We, we've got a a long, a long passage again today, as y'all are probably getting used to in the book of Genesis. We have, we've got long accounts here, and that's part of going through the narrative, going through an expositional series. Um, Genesis 42 brings about a significant moment, though, in the life of Joseph. And so this is, uh, this, Genesis 42 is the chapter in which Joseph has a family reunion. And now, most of us get excited about family reunion, well, maybe not, I mean... Maybe you get excited about family reunions. You should. There should be a level of excitement about getting together without, with your family after having not seen them for a while. But let me just remind you that Joseph, this, this uh, now uh, in his 30s probably, um, maybe close to 40 at this time, that Joseph, the last time that he was near his brothers, his brothers had, had thrown him in a pit and sold him to be a slave. So that's the family reunion Joseph is about to have. And so we come into Genesis 42 and it's been uh, approximately 20 plus years. Uh, if you think about Joseph was 17 when his brothers uh, threw him in the pit, sold him as a slave. He was in Egypt, the Bible says, for 13 years. So now he's 30. Well, that th at the age of 30 is when the seven years of abundance began. You know, remember the dream that he interpreted for Pharaoh... Seven years of abundance, bumper crops, and, and Egypt was just raking in the grain, raking in the corn, raking in the food. And then, but because Joseph had interpreted the dream, dream for Pharaoh, then he knew that right after the seven years of abundance, there were going to be seven years of famine. And so they've gone through the 13 years that he was in Egypt, seven years of abundance, that's 20 years, and now we're a couple of years into the famine before Jacob's sons come to see Joseph to get food. So we're going to just for the sake of today say it's been 22 years. 22 years since Joseph has seen his brothers. 22 years since they had that encounter there at the pit and they were sold him as a slave. So just keep that in mind. There's a famine in the land. It's been 22 years. They don't even know if Joseph is still alive and yet, here's what happens in Genesis 42. Let's stand together as we read it. Verse, Genesis 42 will begin in verse 1. Remember, there's a famine. Everybody is coming to Egypt to get food because Egypt has stockpiled grain. And Jacob's sons, Joseph's brothers, they are about to make the same trip. Verse 1. Now, when Jacob saw that there was corn in Egypt, Jacob said unto his sons, why do you look one upon another? Why are you just standing around? We need food. And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is corn in Egypt. Get you down thither and buy for us from thence that we may live and not die. I like the way he says that. If we're going to live, we might as well not die at the same time. So, verse 3. And Joseph's ten brethren went down to buy corn in Egypt, but Benjamin... Joseph's brother, Jacob sent not with his brethren, for he said, lest peradventure mischief befall him. Now, I just want to remind you that Jacob's favorite wife was Rachel, and Jacob and Rachel had two sons together, Joseph, who Jacob thinks is dead, and Benjamin. So they're, they're full brothers. And Jacob is thinking, my, my one son from my favorite wife, Rachel, is already gone. I'm not going to risk Benjamin uh, having mischief fall on him as well. Benjamin stays behind. He's the youngest. I'm going to send my other ten sons. Verse 5. And the sons of Israel came to buy corn among those that came. They were in a caravan, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. And Joseph was the governor over the land, and he it was that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. Oh, wow. Remember the dreams? Joseph said, I have a had a dream, and you, my brothers, are going to bow down before me. And they said, not on, not on your life, buddy. 
you're the little brother. We're not ever going to bow before you. Well, hey, God's word happens. When it's, what it says is going to happen. Verse 7, and Joseph saw his brethren, and he knew them, but made himself strange unto them, and spake roughly unto them. And he said unto them, whence come ye? From where do you come? And they said, from the land of Canaan, to buy food. And Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew him, they knew not him. And Joseph remembered the dreams which he dreamed of them, and said unto them, ye are spies, to see the nakedness of the land ye are come. And I'm not exactly sure why he does this. Now, he would be justified if he's a little angry with his brothers, wouldn't he? Now, but, but I think probably the Lord is using Joseph to test his brothers. We're going to see that. You're, you're, you're come to see the nakedness of the land, verse 10. And they said unto him, Nay, my Lord, but to buy food are thy servants come. We are all one man's sons. We are true men. Thy servants are no spies. And he said unto them, Nay, but to see the nakedness of the land ye are come. And they said, thy servants are twelve brethren, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. Behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is not. You know who they're talking about, right? They're talking about Joseph. One is not, and they're talking to the guy they think is not. And Joseph said unto them, that is that I spake unto you, saying, ye are spies. Hereby ye shall be proven, proved. By the life of Pharaoh, ye shall not go forth hence... Except your youngest brother come hither, come hither. He wants to meet Benjamin. Send one of you and let him fetch your brother. And ye shall be kept in prison. That your words may be proved. Whether there be any truth in you. Or else by the life of Pharaoh. Surely ye are spies. And he put them all together into ward three days. He throws them into prison. And Joseph said unto them the third day. This do and live for I fear God. So he says I've got a plan. And now, just understand, I fear God. And I, I wish he would have said, as opposed to you. Because really, that's the case. He's, he has placed his fear and trust in God, and his brothers are likely just as heathen as they've always been. He says, if ye be true men, let one of your brethren be bound in the house of your prison. Go ye, carry corn for the famine of your houses. So I'll leave one here, the rest of you go back. Verse 20, but bring your youngest brother back unto me, so shall your words be verified, and ye shall not die. And they did so. What else, what choice do they have? And they said one to another, and this is so important, okay, this is the key verse. We are verily guilty concerning our brother. And that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us, and we would not hear. Therefore is this distress come upon us. Sounds like a confession to me, doesn't it? Look at verse 22. And Reuben answered them saying, Spake I not, not, not unto you? This is typical older brother. Spake I not unto you saying, You shouldn't have done that. I told you. No, he says, Do not sin against the child and you would not hear. I'm not sure that's how I read it in 37, but that's how Reuben remembers it. Therefore though, this is important too. Behold, also his blood is required. You're getting the idea that they're finally, for the first time maybe, sensing the gravity of their choices. And they knew not that Joseph understood them, for he spake unto them by an interpreter, and he turned himself about from them and wept, and returned to them again, and communed with them, and took from them Simeon, and bound him before their eyes. Then Joseph commanded to fill their sacks with corn. So he puts all the corn in their sacks that they bought, and to restore every man's money into his sack, he puts all the money back. And to give them provision for the way. And thus did he unto them. And they laded their asses with the corn and departed thence. And as one of them opened his sack to give his ass provender in the inn where they stopped to stay the night. He espied his money for behold it was in his sack's mouth. And he said unto his brethren, my money is restored. And lo, it is even in my sack. And their heart failed them. And they were afraid, saying one to another, What is this that God hath done unto us? See, the brothers have this, the right idea. God is pursuing them. God is pressing on them. Because listen, and I know you're standing, but for over 20 years, they have ignored their conscience. 
For over 20 years, they've set aside the guilt. What they did to Joseph was terrible. And for what appears to be the very first time, they finally start dealing with what they've done. See, here's the thing, and I want you to get this before we pray. God is in pursuit of sinners. And if, the, if you have sin in your life and sin in your past, don't be surprised when God puts you in a position to awaken your conscience. See, not to beat you up, but to draw you in. And you can either endure life with a guilty conscience, which some of you have this morning. You can either endure life with a guilty conscience, or you can enjoy the freedom of a clear conscience. See, when God puts you in a position in which you're faced with a guilty conscience, like Joseph's brothers, your best option is this, repentance. Get it right. See, our title today is this, listen to your conscience. God's trying to wake you up. Listen to it. He's trying to get you, somebody in this room today, to wake up and listen to the conscience that he gave you. Is it you? Are you the one? If it is, I want to tell you this morning, you won't regret repentance. You won't regret making it right. Let's pray. Father, we need you. I pray that you bless the reading of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. I've known our staff guys, uh, Brother Samuel and Brother Jacob, for a long time. I've known them both. I make my joke is I've known them both since they were toddlers and their heads were the same size. <laughs> so it's, I, I, I mean, I, I went to serve on staff in Bible Baptist Church in Stillwater as a music director to start, but then became youth director. And I was their youth pastor, both of them, for their whole time in high school and and so I've known him for a long time. I just think it's neat that, that God would allow us then to come back together and work together here in Sioux Falls, of all places. I mean, just, just amazing how God works. And so I've known these guys for a long time. And one of the great benefits of knowing somebody a long time is that you have stories. And Samuel just got really nervous. Now, I'm not going to tell a story about Samuel. I'm going to tell a story about Jacob, and it's not even an embarrassing story. It's, it's a story that kind of just, it helps me illustrate the point this morning, and I may have even told it this in here before, but one time when, when Jacob was in seventh grade, I mean, he young, probably 12 or 13, um, and he's back in junior church, so I can make this, I can embellish all I want here. Um, so Jacob, I, we had gone to outreach, and we had gone door knocking like the young people here do, and we got in a bus, and I drove him around, and and we'd drop them off, and they would knock on doors and talk to people. And, and so we had gotten done with that. We went to Subway for lunch. And I remember this very clearly, and Jacob and I were just talking about it. Um, but I remember this. Uh, we, we, I went, Jacob went through the line with all the kids, and I went through the line, and I was getting my food and walking to find a place to sit. And Jacob comes up to me with a big, large cup of, from the fountain, the fountain drink, full to the brim with tears in his eyes. And I said, Jacob, what's, what's wrong, man? And he said, he said, I, I paid for a medium cup, but I accidentally grabbed a large cup and I filled it up and I don't know what to do now. I'm like, what? <laughs> I did what every youth pastor, good youth pastor does. I said, I'm calling the police. You're going to get arrested. So, I said, no, I didn't. I said, Jacob, it's not that big of a deal. I said, let's go talk to them. If they want, you can pay what, whatever the difference is. And I knew for sure they would say, this is an honest mistake. It's not a big deal. So we went up there and they said, it's not a big deal. And they let him keep his large cup. So he went away like wiping his face and drinking out of his cup. It was, it was great. You know, uh, we need more people with Jacob's sensitivity. So we need more that, uh, especially young people, but old people alike, that, are, that have a conscience and are willing to submit to the conscience. See, we live in a world that is ignoring their conscience. A conscience is a self-awareness that judges whether or not one, uh, that your acts that you've carried out or the acts that you're going to carry out are, are in harmony with your moral standard. I'll say that again. Uh, our, our conscience is a self-awareness that lets you know that your acts or the acts you're going to carry out are, are in line with your moral standard. So if you've got a moral standard that's up here, 
and, and you're going to do this down here, your conscience says, nah, that's a pretty big gap. Your conscience tells you, no, that doesn't meet the standard. Your conscience is a self-awareness that lets you know that judges you when your actions or your intentions don't meet the standard you have. Take Adam and Eve, for instance. See, they hid themselves because their conscience played judge in their lives, passed judgment on their disobedience. And when they disobey God, they have this conscience, and, and like a judge in a courtroom, it, it stands up there and says, guilty. And see, that's what a conscience does. And every single person has this moral awareness naturally built into us because we're created in God's image and God has a sense of right and wrong. And whether or not somebody says, you know, your right is your right, but my right is my right. I don't believe in right and wrong. I don't believe in, in absolutes. Well, I believe what the Bible says in Romans 1, that they do have a conscience given to them by a God. They even have creation that is, that is uh, judging or letting them know that God is a holy God and that God exists. They're just choosing to ignore the evidence of creation and conscience in their lives. You have a conscience. You're created in the image of God. You're made in God's likeness. And, and the Bible says in, Psalm, in Proverbs 20, 27, the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord searching all the inward parts of the belly. So the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord searching all the inward parts of the belly, meaning that it's like a light. Your conscience is like a light. And when you have not met your moral standard, that gap there, the spirit, of the, the spirit of man is like a candle from God and it shines a light where we fall short of that moral standard. And the Lord is creator. Hey, he's placed inside of us a candle. He's placed inside of us a conscience. It's a moral compass. The word conscience is used over 50, 30 times in the New Testament. And I, I think about what Paul wrote in Romans 2. He said... For when the Gentiles, and remember, the Gentiles, God's chosen people were the Jews. The Gentiles were those who didn't obey God's law. They didn't have, most of us are Gentiles. You know, and we, God's people were the Jews. He gave them a law. But Paul said, for when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these, having not the law, are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts. Their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts, the meanwhile, accusing or else excusing one another. So Paul says, even those who've never heard the law have an innate sense of right and wrong. Because God is a right and wrong God. He is a moral God. And he's placed that law even in our hearts as Gentiles. We have an innate sense of right and wrong. And you say, well, if we all have this conscience from God... Why do some people follow their conscience while other people don't? Well, remember what Paul, I just read a phrase there at the end of Romans 2.15. He says, their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts, the meanwhile, accusing or else excusing one another. So it's possible to, to excuse your conscience. It's possible to not listen to what your conscience is telling you. It's possible for you just to ignore the warning signs. I remember when we were moving down or up here from Oklahoma and I, we were in a big 26-foot U-Haul truck. And for those of you that helped us unload it, I apologize for how full it was. We were driving and of course when you get around Omaha, 2019 is when we moved. Um, there was a lot of flooding that year and I-29 through Omaha was closed for flooding most of 2019, a long time. And now it's closed for other, it's always closed. I mean, might as well just drive through a corn, just put a path through one of those cornfields. We'll go around Omaha, okay? It's always closed. So we get off, to, off 29 and they take us on a detour and they couldn't take us on an easy one. They're taking us through little towns and farms and like, you know, back, I mean, it's just backwoods. I don't even know where we are. So we got, we're driving along, I'm in the big U-Haul trailer and and I look ahead and there's a bridge coming and not a bridge we're going over, a bridge we're supposed to go under. And so um, I remember in my head, I'm thinking, um, they said, if we hit a bridge, if I take the top of this U-Haul off, I have to pay for it. There's no insurance to cover that. 
So as I'm getting closer, I'm noticing that the bridge says 11-something. And if my memory was correct, this U-Haul was 12-something. So about 60 feet in front of the bridge, I'm like... And I said, you know what? I'm not even going to take the chance. So I turned around and we went back through 10 other small Iowa farm towns. We finally made it to, to the freeway and got where we were going. But you know, that warning sign was there for a reason. And I'm glad I paid attention. See, your conscience is a warning sign. Your conscience is there telling you that you have fallen short of the standard in your life. And if you're a believer, there's a standard that God gives us and our conscience tells us when we fall short. And if you're not a believer, if you don't claim to be a child of God or a believer, um, you know, you still have a conscience because you're made in the image of God. It is very possible for somebody who's not a believer to still very, feel very convicted about their sin. I mean, that's, that's what leads a person to salvation in the first place. God has given you this innate sense of right and wrong. He's given you a conscience. But we are really good at ignoring our conscience. See, you can either submit to your conscience or you can excuse it and deal with the damages. You can ignore the warning signs and try to drive under the bridge either way. See, I believe one of our biggest problems is we've become experts at silencing our conscience. It seems like fewer and fewer people live by conscience. It's almost like today, the standard is if you can get away with it, get away with it. I mean, where, where's the days when, when people did right because they just knew it was right? They, not, not because they were going to get caught, not because they were going to be held accountable, but because it was the right thing. Well, now we're you know, wearing masks and we have anonymity and you can do what you want. If you can do what you want, go get away with it. That's the mentality in many people today. We silence our conscience. We distract ourselves. You know, we keep, we keep ourselves busy. We keep moving, and so we're not thinking. And some people turn to substance abuse because they try to ignore their conscience and drown it out. But understand, no amount of time and no amount of distraction is going to get rid of a guilty conscience. God is in pursuit of you. He's in pursuit of us. He's trying to awake our conscience even this morning. Because the end, listen, it's the bridge. The end of sin is destruction. There's a way that seems right unto a man. The end thereof are the ways of death. God doesn't want you to be destroyed. I mean, God, he sends warning signs. He's sending warning signs right now. Listen, he's sending warning signs to some people in this room, right in this moment. He's sending you a warning sign. And in your conscience, in your conscience, you know that something's not right. He's reminding you of your sin. He's warning you of judgment. And he's hoping today that a sleeping consciousness will awaken. So let's frame this story with that thought. Ten brothers, 22 years, and they've tried their best to ignore their conscience. They hated their brother Joseph. What they did to him was absolutely awful. He was a, they, to them, he was a little tattletale. He was daddy's favorite. He went and told on us. He had a coat of many colors. Then he tells us, we're going to bow down to him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Let's kill him. They decided against killing him, so they put him then in a pit and waited for some human traffickers to come along, and they sold him for 20 pieces of silver. That's two pieces each. I'm telling you, two pieces of silver isn't much when you consider it cost him 22 years of a guilty conscience. 22 years they've faced this and probably never talked about it, never brought it up. They, their dad, Jacob, they obviously never told him. He thought that Joseph was dead. They'd become experts at ignoring that internal moral compass. And I would imagine that after 22 years, their conscience was fast asleep. But no amount of time can make a conscience disappear. Amen. See, Genesis 42 is God working to wake up the conscience of Joseph's brothers. See, God often uses, and just three simple truths today to point some things out. God often uses difficult circumstances to stir our conscience. See, remember, there's a famine. See, they would have just carried on about their business like nothing's wrong, but God sends a famine so that they will have to make a, a change. They'll have to do something. They'll have to pursue food. See, God sometimes sends things, sends things in our lives that cause us to make a decision 
to turn from the direction we're going. And he's doing it so he, because he wants to stir our conscience. There's a famine. And I want you to notice it's not just the famine that causes their, their conscience to be stirred. Look what J- Jacob says in verse 4. He says, but Benjamin, um, Joseph's brother, Jacob sent not with his brethren. For he said, lest peradventure mischief fall befall, befall him. I wonder if that statement pricked the conscience of those brothers. You know, they've already got to leave. They've got to go to Egypt. And now their brother says, I'm not sending Benjamin because I don't want mischief to befall him. And you know Jacob was thinking, I don't want to happen to Benjamin what happened to Joseph. And I wonder as soon as he said it, if the brothers cringed just a little bit. You got anything in your life that when it comes up, you kind of cringe a little bit because you're thinking about something you did? Something brings up a memory of something that you've done? Some mistake that you made? I'm telling you, I still, there are things as a kid that I remember embarrassing myself doing. And when I think of those memories, I still kind of cringe a little bit. You have anything like that in your life? I mean, sometimes like the, some one phrase brings up a cringy moment in your past. Some memory stirs the cringiness. Where here's Jacob saying, I don't want mischief to befall Benjamin. And I just wonder if that got his brothers to thinking. Because, listen, God is working these things out. He's putting them in a position to have to be confronted with their past sins. Because guess who's selling that grain over in Egypt? Their brother. Famine leads them to deal with sin. Listen, sometimes a dry spell will cause us to to seek God. It'll cause us to turn from where we're going and change course. And it is that changing of course that we find out we, we, see we now are heading God's way. Look at verse 6. This is the, the verse I read earlier. Joseph was the governor over the land and he it was that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. I don't have to even preach about the irony of that statement that we are seeing the prophecy of God's word come to pass right here. Listen, this is 22 years later. It happened exactly like God allowed Joseph to dream it would happen. Listen, God's word will come to pass. I can't, I can't say that enough today. So God uses very often some difficult circumstances to stir our conscience, conscience but he also, he also uses, I'm going to call it reciprocal treatment. Now spell it however you want. Reciprocal treatment to stir our conscience. What I mean by that is, and this was somebody else's word, reciprocal means that the way that you treated somebody else, you find yourself being treated. It's reciprocal. It's kind of like as a dad, you know, we will sit at the t- dinner table and there are times where uh, when my kids, when, especially when they were younger, they would not be paying attention and they would knock over their drink. And I'd be like, what are you doing? Why are you knocking over? And as I stand up to pick up their drink, I knock over my drink. And you know what, I always, when that would happen, I didn't really yell like that, but when that would happen, I would sit back down, you know, I was thinking, you know, because I kind of got frustrated, that was God's way of reminding me that I'm just as much of a wicked little sinner as my kids are. You know, sometimes things happen to you and it stirs in your memory the way you treated somebody else, and it's God's way of getting your attention. Because what happens between Joseph and his brothers, I believe, is reciprocal treatment. It is God's way of reminding them how they treated their brother. I mean, can you imagine when they walk in the room, here's Joseph, second in command, and he's, he's over who gets the grain, and in come these ten guys, and when he sees his brother, brothers, he knows who they are. Can you imagine the rush of emotion? I mean, the last time he heard their voices... They were saying, yeah, 20 pieces of silver, that'd be good enough. And they come walking in, and I can't imagine the rush of emotions. I can't imagine the anxiety and and the feelings that Joseph had when they walked in the room. They don't recognize him. He recognizes them, and then he starts to put them to the test. And I believe there is a part of Joseph that wants to see if his brothers have changed. 
And we don't know for sure, but we do know that God uses this to reveal this, these things in his brothers. Look at verse 9. Joseph remembered the dreams which he dreamed of them and said unto them, Ye are spies, to see the nakedness of the land ye are come. And they said unto him, Nay, my Lord, but to buy the food. By food are thy servants come. We haven't come. We're, we're all one man's sons. We're, we're true men. We're being honest with you. Thy servants are not spies. You know, it's interesting. His father at one point sent him to spy on his brothers. And they threw him in a pit. They walk in and he accuses them of being spies. Reciprocal treatment. Then they oppressed him when he was a kid. He oppresses them. He won't let it go. No, he says, no, you're, you're not who you say you are. See, I, they make a statement indicating, this is interesting, in verse 13, they're already thinking about their brother when they said, one is not. He's on their mind. I mean, he, they haven't gotten rid of his memory completely. He's working, God is working on their guilty consciences. Joseph is on their minds, and so Joseph oppresses them. He puts the screws on them. He wants to see Benjamin, so he, he says, I'm going to put you in prison and send one back and have, your, have, that, have him bring Benjamin back. And you know what I believe? Is, I think he's probably tried to test their honesty. He's trying to see if they are who they say they are or if they've changed. You know, so, so he says, here's my plan. I'm going to send you, send one of you back. And then he sends them, puts them in prison for three days. I mean, remember where Joseph ended up? He ended up in prison. So we're seeing how when God wants to get our attention, sometimes he allows to happen to us what we may have caused to happen to somebody else. What we may have, have not had compassion over somebody with. It's kind of like the, 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 the couples before they have kids and they're real judgy about how bad everybody else's kids are. And then I love it when they have a kid of their own and, and that, that child is, is evil. Yes? It's like, hey, you shouldn't have been so judgy to everybody else, huh? I knew, I knew somebody before he had kids, man, he was the best parent you've ever imagined. He was giving advice all the time, and then he had a child, and that child was, oof, yeah. So, you know, that, that's how God does it sometimes. So I'm, and it's reciprocal treatment, meaning the way that we use, listen, have you ever badmouthed somebody, talked bad about them, and then you find out somebody is badmouthing you, and then it strikes you in your conscience, you know what, I deserved it. You ever told, been dishonest with somebody and then somebody's dishonest with you? It's reciprocal. And you're reminded that, hey, this is, this is uh, my problem first. Have you ever uh, you know, done something you shouldn't have done and you thought you got away with it? Then something happens to remind you that God sees. Be sure your sin will find you out. I believe that's what's happening with Joseph's brothers is that God is putting them in a position where, where they're having to deal with their sin against Joseph. They're having to be confronted uh, through this tough circumstance and through the reciprocal treatment. And all of these things, he, they, were, he calls, or he, they said he was a spy, then they, he calls them a spy. He was thrown into prison, they were thrown into prison. And these acts are just stirring it up in them, stirring it up in them. And listen, uh, you might think that it's not fair that God turns those things around on us sometimes. That the law of sowing and reaping exists, but you can't get angry. Because what you have to realize is God is pursuing a, a sleeping conscience. And there are times when things happen to us that we don't like, but we can't get angry. Because God is typically using those things to pursue us. So we get down to it. Joseph changes course. He says, here's my new plan. I'm going to send, I'm going to keep one of you here. And I'm going to send the rest back. And I want you to go back and get Benjamin and come back. So they leave Simeon. And they, they're going to head home. And I believe Joseph is testing them to see, are they going to leave Simeon in that prison cell like they left me in a pit? Do, have they changed? Is there anything different about my brothers? Well, let's look at verse 21, and we start to see the turning point. They said one to another, we're verily guilty concerning our brother, and that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us, and we would not hear. Therefore is this distress come upon us. See, God often will also use 
times of isolation to stir our conscience. See, he'll put us in a position where all we can do is think about what we've done. See, they're linking their present trouble to their past sins. And if finally it seems like after three days in prison, they've been able to think about it a little bit. And finally they're admitting what they've done. Finally they're admitting they're guilty and they're showing remorse. See, the first step to dealing with sin is admitting that you are guilty. And they say we're guilty. And then Reuben says, our, our, son, our brother's blood is on us. The second step of dealing with sin is admitting you deserve to pay the consequence. This is a very clear example of what happens when you're confronted with sin. The first thing is you've got to admit that you're guilty. And the second is that you've got to admit that you deserve to pay for it. And this happens in Joseph's brother's life. They, they admit that they're guilty. We're guilty. Reuben says our brother's blood is upon us. We deserve this. We've deserved this for 22 years. I mean, after three days in prison, just sitting around, just thinking about what they've done. Listen, what I, I want to tell you this is prison can have its benefits. And those of you that haven't been in prison, you say, well, I, don't, I can't see a benefit from it. But listen, when you can't escape the guilty feelings and you have to confront your feelings and you have to confront what you've done, they had nothing to do but sit and consider. There will come times in your life where we're forced into solitude and when we have to face the silence, when we have to be still so that we'll deal with our conscience. And you've got to come to a point in which you can no longer run away from your conscience and deal with what God is doing in your life. This is important for these brothers. And these, are, these men are supposed to be part of God's plan. And how's God going to use them if they don't deal with their sin? If they're never reconciled to Jacob, how is God going to use them to represent God to the world? See, you cannot be useful to God until your sin is dealt with. And you can't for, be, forget being part of God's... No, you can forget being part of God's plan if you refuse to deal with your sin. I'm telling you, time in isolation can sometimes be helpful. I was talking to Brother Jeremy Jacob... Him and his family are going on a, a media fast. They're not going to be watching TV or, you know, they're going to stay off their phones except for communication. And, and you know, it, it's just, and the kids are all like, oh, no. Brother Jeremy's like, yeah, it's going to be great. You know, it's not a bad idea at all. You know why? Because if you turn off the noise and you force yourself to listen to God every once in a while, he may confront you about some things that you're trying to ignore. It's kind of like corner time when you're a kid. You know, there are times, plenty of times when my parents, when their, their first method of punishment was the rod. And, I, and, and uh, by the way, it didn't kill me. It helped me. You know, if not abuse, but proper use of, of the rod. But there were times, though, I remember that my, my parents, I remember as about a 10-year-old boy, one time my mom and dad made me go stand in the corner for about 30 minutes. And I'm telling you, there is no longer 30 minutes than standing in a corner. 30 minutes watching a cartoon goes by like that. Standing in the corner, I mean, you might as well age a few years. But you know what? After 30 minutes in the corner, it's amazing what a 10-year-old boy, how, how, how easily he'll convince himself how wicked of a sinner he is. Because that thinking time is necessary sometimes. And God may put you in a time of isolation. He may put you in prison. He may put you in a place where you have nothing to do except be confronted about your sin. And listen, it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. So I'm asking you today, knowing that God is in pursuit of sinners and that God is trying to stir conscience and God is trying to reach those that have things in their past undealt with, I want to ask you this morning, how's your conscience? Because God still works this way. You have a conscience and you know when you've broken God's standard, but maybe you've been running from it. Maybe you've been trying to ignore it. You've been trying to silence it. But I just want to remind you that time doesn't erase a guilty conscience. And maybe you've tried to suppress it, but every once in a while there's a memory that brings it back. And that reciprocal treatment comes back. And, and this morning you might feel like there's a heaviness in your chest and you feel anxious at the memory. Listen, 
that conscience is not something to be ignored. It is the result of the Spirit of God working through the Word of God. And right now, if you feel heavy and you feel anxious and you don't feel good about it, you know what? That's okay. That is God at work in your life. There's a lot at stake if you push away your conscience. You, you can't, number one, you can't have a relationship with God. You, you can't be reconciled to God until you deal with your sin. Number two, though, is destruction is your only option if you keep going the way that you're going. There's a, a, the end of sin is death. So you can't have a relationship with God. Destruction is your only option. And number three, you can't be useful to God until you submit to your conscience. Until you finally say, I'm guilty, I deserve to pay for my sin. You cannot be useful to a holy God. Listen, there's one way to make it right this morning. And if you want it, relief... You admit that you're guilty. Recognize you deserve to pay for it and turn to God and ask for forgiveness. You must, this morning, right now, if you want relief, you've got to admit that you're guilty. Recognize you must, you've got to pay for it. Debt is owed. And third, ask God for forgiveness. I heard somebody say about guilt, because everyone hates guilt. But they said this, guilt is a message. A message, the message is this, there's something in your life you need to fix. That's not a bad thing. But two, guilt is a debt that's owed. Meaning that you've got to do something to make it right. But number three though, guilt is an opportunity. Guilt is an opportunity to take new steps and start over and be relieved and finally be free from whatever's plaguing you, whatever's weighing on you. And listen, you, maybe you feel like you're in a prison of guilt this morning and you're like Joseph's brothers and all you can see is the bars, but you're missing the fact that guilt is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to finally get right. It's an opportunity to finally find relief and to take some time in self-examination. Maybe God brought you here this morning to this place for some self-examination. It's God's way of letting you know that you've got to repent of the sin in your life and turn to God today. Admit your guilt, be honest about who you are and come clean and you know what? You find relief. A guilty conscience is a prison sentence, but repentance will set you free. A guilty conscience is a prison sentence, but repentance will set you free. Are you tired of that guilty conscience? Maybe you're a believer, but there's something in your life and you know there's no way that God's pleased with it. You've been ignoring it for a long time and, and yet you still feel that heaviness in your spirit and, and, you, and every time it gets brought up you try distraction and you try to silence it. You've got good at ignoring it but right now you're in prison. I mean even this morning you feel like you're in prison and you're having to face it in your self-examination and right here in this room uh, you don't like it. All you see is the bars and, and the spirit is pushing and your conscience is heavy and and the warden won't stop talking. It's God's way of trying to reach you. Believer, listen. If there's something in your life that you know shouldn't be there, that, needs to get, that you need to repent of, don't carry it out with you. I mean, maybe there's lust in your life. Man, maybe you've been looking at things you shouldn't. You've been thinking about things you shouldn't. And I know this is really where the rubber starts to meet the road. But it's real in our culture especially. It's everywhere. And listen, there are men bound by the sins of lust everywhere. And you may have everybody fooled and nobody knows that you're dealing with it. But your conscience won't release you. Listen, do you want to be free? Do you want to have this, this, the relief of finding freedom in Jesus Christ, then come and repent of that sin this morning. Maybe there's some other sin. It's anger in your life or it's, it's a lack of trusting God. It, there's something, though, in your life that you know shouldn't be there. You've got dishonesty. Listen, why don't you find relief? Just admit your guilt. Come clean before God. Would you rather keep the sleepless nights or be free? Would you rather keep drowning your sorrows in alcohol or find freedom in Jesus Christ? But see, it's not just believers. There may be in this room unbelievers. 
and you don't have a relationship with God and maybe you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior and your sin weighs heavily. And you know it's wrong because of the tugging in your heart, but you don't know how to be freed from the heaviness. Here's the great thing. This isn't great, but the the first part isn't great. Your sin has broken your fellowship with God. But that's not the end of the story. See, your sin has eternal consequences. It will forever separate you from God. And if you die in your sin, then you'll be eternally separated from him. Because you can't be in heaven with your sin if he's in heaven in his holiness. But Jesus came to die in your place for your sins. See, he paid the price that God demanded for God, but God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He offers eternal life this morning, but you must by faith repent and receive it. Place your trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and that conscience that weighs so heavily on you can be lifted. Listen, you can find sweet relief this morning if you will simply admit your guilt and come before him and ask forgiveness. And I'm telling you, you can find the relief of trusting in Jesus Christ is the greatest feeling you'll ever have. Why continue in heaviness? I mean, why remain in prison? Why choose a guilty conscience when Jesus Christ can set you free? A guilty conscience is a prison sentence. Repentance sets you free. Can you imagine what it would be like to go to bed without the burden of sin? I mean, just imagine it. Can you imagine what it'd be like to wake up in freedom? I mean, look at, look at, I want to look at three verses as we, as we wrap this up. Look at verse 23. And they knew not that Joseph understood them. For he spake unto them by an interpreter. This is after they've admitted their guilt. It says, and he turned himself about from them and wept. See, their admission of guilt had, a, had an effect on Joseph. And he returned to them again and communed with them. And took from them Simeon and bound him before their eyes. Then Joseph commanded to fill their sacks with corn and to restore every man's money in his sack and to give them provision for the way. And thus did he unto them. You know what Joseph is a picture of this morning? He's a picture of Jesus Christ. See, he's moved when he hears their confession. He's moved when he hears their admission of guilt. But listen, you know what he doesn't do? He doesn't say, thank you for admitting it. Now a price has to be paid you're sentenced to death. You know what he does? No. After they admit their guilt, he puts their money back in their bags. And he fills their sacks with all the food they need. And he even gives them provision for the way. Listen, this is a picture of what God does for us. You see, when we, when we finally come clean, when we finally admit who we are, and we finally face the, the music as it were, God doesn't just kick us out. No, he, it, it moves him. Joseph wept. He communed with them. And then he gave them everything they needed for their journey. And he filled their money back with everything they, they had already spent. And you know what? It cost him everything and it cost them nothing. Because it's a picture of what Jesus Christ wants to do in your life this morning. He died on the cross for your sins. He took all of the burden on himself. And he will at no cost to you let you come and admit your guilt and ask for forgiveness and say, yes, I know that guilt is a message and I know that guilt is a debt owed, but guess who's going to pay the debt? I will. That's what Jesus Christ has done for us. On the cross, he paid for it all. So you've come here this morning with this conscience that pricks your, your life and you can't move and you can't breathe. Jesus paid it all. Why are we trying to carry the burden of our sin? All he asks is us for to admit our guilt and ask forgiveness. I think about Brother Jacob at Subway. You know what? Subway ate the cost of that cup. 30 cents, probably. But the fact that he was honest made the difference. So why don't you just come clean? Why don't you just be honest? Because God wants to forgive. And he's willing to absorb the costs. See, will you admit your guilt and come clean? Will you repent and find relief? 
your relationship with God is at stake, your destruction is at stake, and your usefulness is at stake. You choose. You can leave with the burden you brought in, or you can leave the burden you brought in with Jesus and walk out the sweet relief of freedom. I read what one prisoner wrote, lifetime um, criminal. And he, and he got away with it for a good, good part of his life. When it finally caught up to him, this is quite the statement from a prisoner. He said it this way, you do not know what a relief it is to be found out. Has that ever happened to you? You're carrying a weight, a burden. And yeah, nobody knew, but when you were finally found out, yeah, it was hard, but you were relieved. Because your conscience wasn't poking you anymore. Listen, you can find that relief of being found out. And you say, well, it's embarrassing. No, it's not. I mean, God, God, God is begging you. He wants you to have a relationship. He wants to be useful. He wants you to not be destroyed. And if coming clean will keep me out of destruction, I'll come clean this morning. Listen, to come and just say, this is who I am. This is what I've done. This is the debt I owe. And then when God forgives, you don't regret coming clean. I'm telling you, you never. Two truths to end with. There's no burden heavier than a guilty conscience. But there's no freedom sweeter than forgiveness of sin. There's no burden heavier than a guilty conscience. But there's no freedom sweeter than forgiveness of sin. And every person in this room this morning can find it. That conscience is God's way of telling you destruction is ahead. That conscience is God's way to keep you out of that trouble. That conscience is something God placed in you to draw you to him. Will you just submit this morning and leave relieved in freedom? Every head bowed, every eye closed. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.